Before we begin this morning, I do want to put just a brief plug in for our service this evening. Last week we finished up our series through the book of Revelation that we've been studying for quite some time, and I decided this evening we'd have a guest speaker. Our guest does not know he's speaking this evening. He, he is going to come to us via video. Each year there's a big conference in California at John MacArthur's church called the Shepherd's Conference. There's thousands of preachers that attend that conference each year, and it's, I tend to not go to California. You've noticed I haven't made that trip. I do spend my summer usually listening to many of the sessions as I mow the grass, and there's one particular sermon by a man by the name of Odebacham that was extremely powerful this year. So we're going to listen to that sermon t- this evening. He's going to come in and re-preach via the, the process of, of video medium, and I encourage you to come out for that. It is a powerful message that I really would desire all of us in, to hear about the clarity that we should have surrounding the gospel. As we turn to our sermon this morning in, in Romans here, I remember the first time that Grace and I went shopping for a car after we were married. I, I believe it was in our first year of marriage. So we were young. One of our cars needed to be replaced, and, and we needed to find a vehicle quickly. And we went to one of the local dealerships here. I, I recall it was in the summertime, and it was a, a very hot day when we went. We were probably 23 at the time, so we, we maybe looked like we were, were young. I, I don't know, you know, but we were looking for a car, and we started walking around outside the dealership, and you know, I could see the salesman inside in the air-conditioned area of the dealership. Well, we spent about 10 minutes or so looking at the cars on the lot, tra- you know, walking around, and as we were doing that, I saw a couple of the salesmen walk to the big glass windows where they could watch us better as we were out watching, looking at the cars. We were the only people visiting the dealerships, so there wasn't like competition for their, their attention. They, they were just watching us walk around in the heat, and, and I, I recall that there was one car that we were interested in checking out. We seriously wanted to, to look at this car. So Grace suggested, well, maybe we should go in and ask them if, if we can look at this car. And I said, you know, if I have to ask somebody to take my money, they don't deserve my money. They're there. They're not doing anything. So, so I decided we'd see if they would ask us if they could help. So I started having Grace stay by the car we were interested in. She kind of walked around that car looking at it more carefully. I started wandering by the cars that were closer to the windows, right kind of in front of the salesman as they were there. They just kept watching us. Eventually, I walked to a car that was just outside the door, and then one of them leaned out the door and said, could we help you? I just looked at him and said, no. And we got in our car, and we went to another dealership where we did find help, and we bought a car. You know, now the words, if you think about the words of that salesman at that first dealership, were words of helpful inquiry as he leaned out the door. Can I help you? What was the problem? The problem was his actions did not match up to his words. His actions communicated he did not really have a deep desire to give aid. This morning, I want us to consider, are we sometimes like that in our Christian lives? Are we somewhat like that salesman when it comes to our Christian testimonies? We, we may say words of Christian love, but is our behavior 
matching up to our words. If it, if it doesn't match up, then much like that salesman's words, our words become meaningless. This morning, we are continuing our series through developing genuine love. And for several months, we, we've been looking at this idea of, of love. How does God define love? What are the things that God says are the characteristics of love? We've been using the, the list that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12, and we've been taking this list one by one, as you know. And as I've been doing in each sermon, we've been starting the sermon by reading the list to the point that we've gotten this far. So if you're already in Paul's list in Romans 12, we're going to begin at, at verse 9. And we've worked our way now through the first part of verse 17. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing, the, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in spirit, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now it seemed to me, at least, that each of the items... That, that Paul gives us here presents some level of challenge for us to live out. It presents challenge be, because we've come to realize the, these simply are not natural characteristics. These are supernatural things. These are, are things that are produced by the Spirit of God alone living within our lives. If you're a person here this morning who has not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, then you do not have the Spirit living in your life. And for that reason, there is no opportunity for you to actually produce these elements that, that we see in this, this list. These are supernatural. Only the Spirit can generate them in our lives. If, if you need to know more about how you can have that in your life, talk to me afterwards. Send me an email. This is the list for those who know Jesus as Savior. This is genuine love. Last week... The item that Paul listed in the beginning of verse 17 was never pay back evil for evil. That, that item moved us into our interactions as believers with unbelievers. Paul largely had been talking about how we should interact with one another. What should genuine love look like as we talk to each other, as we interact with one another, as we live our lives together in our community of faith? But how about with those outside our community of faith? How do we live with unbelievers. What should that look like? The prohibition that we had last week, never pay back evil for evil, is balanced this week with a positive injunction. Paul says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. That is the phrase that we want to consider this morning. It, it continues dealing with the, the kind of love that is produced by the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, and, and what that love looks like as we interact with others who are not believers. This morning, I, I want to work our way toward this main idea inductively. I, I want us to, to develop our main idea by, by thinking about the implications of what Paul has written. Respect 
what is right in the sight of all men. Well, the first thing that that Paul's statement implies is that we should care what others think to a degree. We should care what others think to a degree. Notice I'm qualifying my statement here. We should care what others think, but but only to a degree. So so let's see if I can expand on, on what I mean a bit as we look at what Paul has written. In the New American Standard Version, we have a, the first word here translated respect. That, that's translated in several different ways in, in the various English versions. The, the King James Version translates it as provide, which really isn't a very precise translation. And that is kind of unusual. Typically, the, the King James Version is very literal in its translations, but this time it's not. The, the New King James Version does better. It translates the word as have regard. The, the New English translation goes with consider. The NIV uses be careful. The, the ESV, the English Standard, probably handles it as well as any when it translates Paul's word here, give thought. The, the reason I give you this quick list is because we can see from just that Simple comparison of English translations is the word that Paul uses is obviously a bit difficult for us to translate into English. Paul uses a word in the original Greek that that is a a word that begins built on the word for the mind. He uses the word for the mind, but he attaches a prefix to it. It's the prefix that means before, in front. So when you put these together, the the word means to to set something forward in our minds, to to bring it to the the, the front of our thoughts. That's the the word that he's using. Combine that that word means to to put it so that it's something you're thinking about. When when it's used with force of command, as we have it here, it means that we are to keep something present in our thoughts. It's to be of concern to us. Maybe that's the way we could translate the idea. Concern yourself for what is right in the sight of all men. We were to place in our thoughts what other people think is right. In fact, we're to have that in a place of priority in our thoughts. We are to, to give priority of thought to the forward part of our mind in this, this concerned area, what other people think, rather than, than simply dismissing what they think as unimportant, you know, shoving it to the back of our minds. And specifically, Paul says all men. We are to do this in regard to all men. Paul makes it clear that our consideration of others includes as broad a scope as you can what is right in the eyes of all men. That's what we are to look at. That's what we are to consider. That's what is to be in the forefront of our mind, what all men would consider right. I trust from that you can see where I come up with the idea that we should care about what others think. That's what Paul is saying. That's why he writes directly. But why do I add the qualification to the statement, to a degree? If you look carefully here at verse 17, Paul doesn't have any qualifiers in his verse. Actually, you don't even have to look very carefully. You just look at it and you see that, right? There's no qualifiers there. He simply says, 
that we should care what others think. So why do I add a qualifier? Am I allowed to add to Scripture? Well, the answer to that question is no and yes. No, I'm not allowed to add any of my thoughts to Scripture. I, I trust that, that if I begin to add my thoughts to Scripture, that, that you would collectively show me to the door very quickly. At the same time, we must read every part of Scripture in light of the rest of Scripture. That, this is one of the concepts that I was developing this week. I'm preparing for the, the courses that I'll be teaching in my upcoming trip, and, and I've been studying some of the material for them for October. And in one of the classes that I'll teach a couple times on this trip deals with, with the idea of proper biblical interpretation. And in that section, I developed this idea that we must let Scripture interpret Scripture. The, the things that Scripture teaches in one place, we must use to guide our understanding of other places of Scripture. Well, one of the principles of Scripture is that our ultimate concern always lies with what God thinks about things. That, that's an idea that's prevalent throughout Scripture. God has revealed what is righteous and just. God has revealed what is good and evil. God has revealed what is kind, generous, gracious, and, and so forth. For that matter, God has revealed what is loving. That's why we're spending all these weeks on Romans 12 here. God has revealed this to us. So what God thinks on any and all things is the ultimate determiner of truth. That means that if what other people think diverges from anything that God has revealed, then God's thoughts take priority. At that point, we don't care what other people think. Paul's command to care what other people think is, is limited by what God has said in his revelation. One of the examples that I'm sure is familiar to all of us is that God has said that marriage is between one man and one woman. That is marriage. Since God has revealed what he thinks on the topic, then I really don't care if the majority of the people around me want to expand marriage to include one man and another man, or one woman and another woman, or one man and two women, or three men and three women, or one man and a man who used to be a man and now called a woman. I, I don't care what kind of sinful imaginations people can come up with to try to expand what God has already spoken on. All I care about is what God thinks marriage is. At the same time, there are a lot of things that God has not directly revealed his thoughts. And in those cases, what other people think should factor into our consideration. One example of this was the decision that we made as a church to, to stop our in-person services when the COVID pandemic first struck. And then... Again, our decision to restart 10 weeks later to, to begin our services. If you think back that time, I know it seems like ancient history now almost to us, but if you think back when the pandemic first struck, we recognized that there was great fear and uncertainty in, in our community. No one knew at the outset how severe this disease might be. All we knew was that deaths were rapidly accumulating in China and Europe, we knew that our local hospitals were filling up fast with very sick patients. 
We also knew that our governor had issued a stay-at-home mandate to try and slow the spread of the disease and to, to give our medical community time to catch up. Now, I personally reject that our governor has the, the, the right to tell a church whether it can meet. God has said that believers must meet and worship. God has spoken, so for that reason, when God has spoken, our governor or anyone else says really doesn't matter. Believers in places like China have demonstrated that understanding for decades. Yet we also recognize that, that there can be temporary interruptions to the general pattern. In, in the unfolding of events at the beginning of the pandemic, it, it seemed prudent to yield to the call to halt our meetings. I, I remember discussing it with the church leadership, and, and we were talking about things like, you know, the people surrounding our church would not understand why we would meet when the governor has said not to meet. They, they would not understand why we would meet when we claim we value life when meeting seems to throw life away. That was the original idea. It seemed like it would be impossible to explain our actions to the community around us initially. God has told us in general that, that a church must meet for worship. He's not revealed, however, how we should respond to unusual events for a period of time. If a war suddenly breaks out, like is happening in Ukraine right now, or a pandemic struck, like it did in 2020. So, at that time, all the leaders of the church agreed it was prudent to consider the thoughts of the people around us initially. And we recognized that failure to do that would even hurt our reputation as a church within the community. Well, move forward 10 weeks. 10 weeks later, we knew much more about what we were facing. We, we understood that there were reasonable precautions that, that we could take that would allow us to, to minimize the, the risks while still fulfilling our biblical mandate to gather for worship. We, we recognized as well that the thinking in the community around us was shifting so that it would not appear so extremely insensitive to, to this situation if, if we gathered together again. So after 10 weeks of online-only services, we started gathering once more in this room, and we've been here ever since. Well, through those 10 weeks from pausing our services to restarting them, I, I, I think we showed this idea that we cared what others thought, but only to a degree. Our, our concern regarding the thoughts of others, especially, especially unbelievers. It was in the front of our mind. We, we definitely took that as a serious consideration, but it was never absolute in, in the authoritative sense. God alone is absolute. Paul writes, respect what is right in the sight of all men. The, the first implication of this item in Paul's list is that we should care what others think to a degree. This then leads to a second implication, Implication number two, we should do what others consider good within limitations. We should do what others consider good within limitations. Thinking alone is insufficient. We, we need to combine what we think with doing. We, we should do what others consider good. But again, I've added qualification to the implication. We should do what others consider good within limitations. Now, before we talk about the limitations, let's think through the action element of this implication. 
People cannot see what we're thinking. I know how many husbands and wives have failed to understand that. We cannot see, people cannot see what we're thinking. Just because I think something doesn't mean my wife knows it. And the same is true for people around us. They only see what we do. So we need to support our thoughts with actions. And actions, in in this case, should demonstrate that that we're cognizant of the opinions of the people around us. that, That we think about what they consider, and then we act accordingly. I've already mentioned how we put that concept into practice with the COVID pandemic. We need to live all of our lives really in a similar fashion, showing through our actions that, that we consider what others consider good, that, that we're at least thinking about it. For example, if our neighbors demonstrate that, that they consider a well-kept yard a good thing, then we should strive to keep our yards nice as well. Our actions would demonstrate that we're considering what they consider good. Driving the speed limit recognizes that people generally consider doing that a good thing. Even if they themselves may not do it, they recognize driving the speed limit is a good thing. Paying our bills on time, showing up for work on time, declaring all of our income, including our cash income on taxes. These, these are all examples of what the general populace considers as good. They may not live that way, but they think those are good things. Sometimes it's not immediately obvious what others consider good. People have a variety of opinion on almost every topic. Still, the the principle of what we should do should line up with what we understand others consider good. That, that, that principle should cause us to act with flexibility as we encounter these situations in life. There should be a flexibility on, on most items so that we consistently apply this principle. Paul took time developing this idea in his letter to the Corinthians when it, it came to the topic of eating meat that, that was offered in the idol temples. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he deals with, with the situation of meat that was sold in the, the public market. It was not unusual for meat that was sold in the, the public marketplaces of the Roman Empire to come from the temples of the city. After all, the, the idols in the temple did not eat too much of the meat that was given to them. It just kind of sat there for a while. Well, the temple would make extra money by taking that meat then and selling it at a reduced price in, in the marketplace. After all, meat was meat. And, and Paul applies this principle that we're talking about here by stating how that flexibility should work itself out when it comes to eating the meat. He says if, if you go to someone's house and they, they place meat in front of you, enjoy it. Don't worry about if it at one point passed through a temple or not to get to your plate. He says, but if your host mentions that this meat, by the way, passed through a temple, then don't eat of it. If the host says nothing, then the host is by his actions displaying he doesn't care. He thinks it's fine. But if your host makes a point of mentioning that this meat passed through the temple on its way here, then at least in some part of his thinking, he thinks somehow that meat is tainted by its time in the temple. So for his conscience, don't eat. He considers obviously not eating as 
what would be the ultimate or the highest good. Now, why do I keep saying good rather than right? The, as the, the New American Standard here translates the phrase, the New American Standard says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. So why do I keep saying the word good? That's the word Paul uses. In, in the first part of the verse, we're told to avoid returning evil for evil. And if you were with us last week, I explained that the word evil carries moral connotations. It has moral words. It's what is morally evil. Well, Paul now uses the opposite. The word that we have translated right is the word that means good. Carrying that moral connotation forward. In fact, that's why the New American Standard translates the, the word as right. They're trying to bring that moral connotation forward. We should do that which is right rather than wrong. Paul is saying... Just as we avoid what is morally evil, we are to do what is considered morally good. However, this, again, I'm going to say comes within limits. That's where the within limits come into play. We, we cannot allow society to be the final arbiter of what is right and wrong. As we've already discussed here this morning, God alone is the final arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. God alone determines what is good. Still, because of God's common grace, we can expect that many things that the people around us will intuitively understand to be good will line up with what God says is good. That's God's common grace at work. And whenever that's the case, whenever what the common understanding of society sees as good lines up with what God says is good, then we need to Make sure we hold on to that. Doing so, we're, we're holding on to this limitation of God determining what is good. But we recognize that God works through his common grace to apply that. Of course, whenever that doesn't line up, when society says something good and it's not in conjunction with God, well, that's where the limitation comes into play. An example might be in the balance in, uh, that, in this balance that might be in the area of murder. Because of God's common grace, people generally consider murder as evil rather than good. There, there's very little question on that, that murder, outright murder is evil. A great majority of the people around us value life. They, they wholeheartedly agree that if life is taken indiscriminately, that murder is evil. Well, we can wholeheartedly agree with them. We can agree because we know that God is the giver of life and for that reason, life is valuable. We know that human life bears his image, makes it valuable. We can support efforts to capture and to punish murderers. There's no problem with us sitting alongside an unbeliever on a jury pool in a murder case and concluding that the evidence proves this person is guilty of murder and delivering that that guilty verdict. We're simply at that time doing what others consider good but that good aligns with what God has said is good. At the same time, I think we also recognize that many of the people around us have swallowed the delusion of Satan that abortion is not murder. That the unborn life is not really life in God's image. Many, maybe even we're approaching a majority of people, claim that allowing the taking of the life of an unborn is actually good rather than evil. 
Well, friends, it doesn't matter if 99% of the people around us claim that abortion is good. It's still evil. It doesn't matter because God has said that life begins at conception. And for that reason, that unborn baby is precious. We can never support abortion in word or deed. Actions that in any way support abortion goes beyond the limitation of what God defines as good. So that places a limitation upon our actions. We should do what others consider good, but it's within limitations. That's the second implication that comes out of Paul's item here, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Two implications. We should care what others think about to a degree, and we should do what others consider good within limitations. Both those implications of Paul's words are qualified by the, the character and the revelation of God. As God has spoken throughout the rest of Scripture, we bring that to bear as we apply this, and yet both those implications stand as, as principles here of what God has inspired in this item of love. So when we understand those implications, that, that allows us then to develop the main idea, the main idea behind what Paul is writing here in this list of love when he says respect what is in the right or what is right in the sight of all men, and he adds that to our list of love, that the way I would express the main idea that he's getting at is this way. We should ensure that our behavior commends our Christian message. Our Christian message. That is the ultimate display of love. Our behavior should commend our Christian message. It's incumbent upon us as believers to ensure that our behavior does that. We have a Christian message. We must never forget that fundamental fact of our lives. We rejoice rightly in our salvation. We celebrate what we have in Christ. We look forward with eager anticipation to our eternal reward. And we worship our Savior for all that he has done to supply these things for us. At the same time, we need to recognize that we carry a message. Our message is the message of the cross. Our message is the message of our Savior. Our message is the message, the, the only message that can bring hope to the world around us. That is why we're here. It's a message of love. For God so loved us, he sent his Son. Our message is our reason for living. It's why we exist as believers in this world. The, the most important reason of our existence is so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. If you don't believe that, then you do not understand the gospel well yourself. What we need to understand is that the gospel message is a message of words. It's a message that, that is proclaimed with our lips. It must be spoken, but the, the words of the gospel will ring hollow if it's not supported with lives that, that commend that message. We, we must live in our, our lives in a way that supports the words of the gospel, that, that show the power of the gospel in our own lives, that, 
that convinces the people around us that the gospel is the most important thing in our lives. We cannot say that, that Christ governs our lives if our lives look just like the lives of the people who reject him. Re- remember, because of God's common grace, people genuinely know what is right or wrong. They know what is good and respectable. Even if they don't live according to that knowledge, they have that knowledge. We need to live consistent lives of goodness if we're going to show genuine love to others by sharing the love of Christ. Paul adds this item to his list here of genuine love this morning, but I want us to realize that, that this is not an obscure idea. Paul places it here, but it's not an obscure idea. Rather, this idea that our behavior must, contend, or must commend the, the message to the people around us, that's found throughout Scripture. For example, we find in wisdom literature, back in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, verse 3 starts out, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. And then chapter 4, or I mean verse 4, gives us the reason. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Our Savior, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul gives the example of his own life in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifested manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul again in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 21, For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul even gives instructions to slaves who were probably those who would find it most difficult to live out this principle. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, he tells Titus, urge, verse 9 and 10, he tells him, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So, why? So they will adorn the gospel of God, our Savior, in every respect. Regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we must ensure that our behavior commends our message. As the saying goes, your walk talks and your talk talks, but which one talks louder? Your walk talks louder than your talk talks, doesn't it? What is your walk saying? What message is being proclaimed? What does your behavior communicate? What message do your actions support? Are you genuinely loving others, even unbelievers? The greatest love we can give the unsaved round us is the message of Christ's saving work. There is no greater love than that, but that message must come with lives that, that commend that this message is real, that it is powerful, that it is life-transforming. There is no room for spiritual apathy in a life that that seeks to commend the message of the cross. 
There's no room for moderation when it comes to obedience to Christ. We must be all in with our words and our actions, or else our words mean nothing. Are you all in for Christ? Are you supporting the message of Christ with behavior that the world would see as good? We should ensure that our behavior commends our Christian message. Remember that that salesman that, that was at that dealership Grace and I visited? Their behavior did not commend their words. Yes, they eventually asked if they could help me, but they'd already demonstrated to me that they had no deep desire to, to be of help. He probably thought I was wasting his time in the heat of the day to go out and talk to, to people so young as us. Whatever the reasons, his, his behavior refuted his words. Friends, we cannot allow the same to happen to our efforts to display the love of Christ, genuine Christian love to those around us. Our behavior must support our words. So Paul tells us, respect what is right in the sight of all men. That, that needs to be our guiding principle. We must take care about what other things to a degree governed by what God thinks. We must do what others consider good within the limitations of what God considers good. Our goal must always be that our behavior will commend our message. The message of Christ's saving work on the cross. We should ensure that our behavior commands our Christian message. Let's pray. Father, I do ask today that your spirit would do work within us. We've heard Paul's words. We've seen Paul's words. They clearly communicate that how we live our lives is so important. And yet, Father, I'm sure that all of us, if we are examined by the Spirit, will discover that there are many places where our lives are failing to be consistent with the message that we proclaim to believe. So, Father, I pray that today would be a day that you bring great conviction upon us that you would bring repentance within us and that we would leave here with transformation so that we might indeed be men and women who live out the glory of the cross so that we can share the truth of the cross with those around us and that by doing so we would indeed magnify our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.